0: So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. This week we'll talk about our wonderful win against Harlequins. Um, we'll review the season so far because we're now at the halfway stage. Have a quick chat about Sale next week, the return fixture. Probably quickly pass over England or because We'll end up having a massive rant about it again. And then give you a quick round up of the rest of the scores, and the, the tables this weekend. Um, as always, you can find us on social media. Yep, so um, on Facebook it's simply just look for at...
1: Folk on Falcons. You'll see our picture come up. And for Twitter, it's the same, of course, uh, at Folk on Falcons. And if you'd like to send us an email, it's simply folk on
0: Falcons at mail.com. Brilliant. So, I think first things first, what a weekend. Oh, yeah, well... What a weekend, what what a match. <laughs> well, yeah, well,
1: not maybe talk about the whole weekend, but yeah, I mean, uh, usual sort of Falcons standard, made very hard work of it. And fingernail stuff um, but yeah I mean what a really good result uh, obviously those who listened to the previous podcast with the the guys from the the, the Quinns podcast um, I was a bit more dour in my prediction than you were uh, they were very very optimistic um, but we, we both kind of said that they didn't know what which Quinns team will turn up we didn't really know what sort of Falkenstein would turn up especially after the break and sort of what personnel we would have but again I thought we'd were worthy winners I thought over the whole of the match we were the better team um, as we always do with these wins we seem to as I say make hard work of it if we'd only taken our chances especially the first half we would have been absolutely clear um, again when we do give tries they seem to be sort of worldies from the opposition or we just gift it to them um, but yeah I mean a really good result against probably the informed team in the league and it's put us in, in a really good position
0: in the league going forward. Yeah before we dive into the detail a bit further um so you mentioned um, selections there i think that's probably one of the strongest falcons teams certainly this calendar year if not the season um first time orlando and barrell were paired together which was quite an exciting one when we saw the team sheet and didn't fail to disappoint and then um, also the harlequins team sheet was quite an interesting one because uh, if i'm if i'm honest i think they're being a bit arrogant and they were leaving some of their players on the bench like dombrandt who you'd think, why on earth isn't he starting? And I'm quite glad that they got the comeuppance, to be honest, because I thought that was a sign of them underrating us and maybe seeing that we had Chick back in the team and thinking, oh, well, Falcons back isn't full strength. But as we know, Chick's now played for Falcons for a number of years, played at various England age groups, and he's a very capable player, and he showed it. All the way through the match, I think he played quite strongly, and he got the first try as well within 20 minutes of return to Competitive rugby. Yeah, um, their selection was, a, as you say, an interesting one. Uh, again, as you said, with Don
1: Brandt leaving him on the bench, was an odd one. Care as well, though, Care did have a knock in the last game. Uh, I know Brown was off making money for himself doing some sort of talk somewhere. Um, but yeah, I don't think it was an act- a full strength Quinn's team at all. And definitely with relation to us, I mean, I commented on the social media when the team was announced. That I think it was probably the strongest one we've had since that winning run at the start of the season i know flood wasn't there who i still think is a bit of a miss um but as you say burrell and orlando there together was exciting first time it's having this season we had radwan back um i've of course hodgson dropped out conan came in but yeah actually apart from a couple of missed kicks actually generally had a really good game um but yeah i thought that the team was as strong as it probably could have been um you a know, shame, obviously, you don't know Wilson and Graham, but as usual, all the, all the forwards stepped up and put in a, a really good performance. Yeah,
0: you uh, you mentioned Collins missed kicks there, but I think, um, well, kind of, yes, he missed a straightforward one at the start, which was a bit of a, a here-we-go-again moment. But I think, actually, after that, he played extremely well, both in the open and from the tee. He got a couple of very good conversions from out wide and, obviously, got that kick under pressure at the end. And those of us who watched the match and, basically, the last minute he had a penalty kick from it wasn't in front of the post It's probably between the 22 and halfway about 10-15 metres to the side where you'd expect a first class kicker to get it but obviously the form he's been in lately you do worry but yeah he, he slotted it and I think his play in open play was actually very good Um he's not afraid to go into contact which is nice to see from a fly half but he's also not afraid to play on the front foot and play very close to the defenders and put people through holes Whereas you got some fly halves that stand a lot further back from the defence and kind of pass it more into space and let other people take it up to the opposition. Uh, I think he played very well.
1: Yeah, I think if you could sort of have a battle of fly halves, um, he came out on top against Smith, which obviously deserves a lot of credit. Um, apart from, as you say, the couple of missed kicks, um, I thought the conversion especially was pretty kickable. Um, I thought, yeah, he played really, really well. It's probably his best game of the season. Um, I thought he was, He was better than Smith, actually. And in the build, obviously, we talked about how he was in form and he would be a real danger for them. But in terms of his general play, I think Smith's kicking was probably still a bit better, especially his place kicking just seemed more confident and seemed to get down the middle a lot more. Um, But in terms of controlling the game from fly half, I thought Conan was better, actually. I wasn't particularly impressed with Smith in that regard. Um, And, yeah, I mean, all, all credit to Conan then. I mean, he came in late. He stood up what was counted, and then when it really matched at the end, he got the winning kick, so fantastic.
0: With Conan coming in quite late, and I don't think it's been released what was actually wrong with Hodgson, but he had a niggle or something. Did we have a, a replacement standoff on the bench? Or if they'd have managed to, or I say managed to, if um, Conan had got injured, would we have been ended up playing Sam Stewart there, or perhaps moving Orlando or Burrell somewhere they're unfamiliar potentially Penny could maybe play there I don't know but um I didn't see on the bench who the immediate replacement would be
1: yeah well I was thinking. I think they mentioned on the tv commentary on BT that he tweaked his groin during kicking practice the day before something like that which is exactly what you want from your fly half um but yeah it's right that there was no fly half replacement at all on the bench so you know I, I kind of wondered well you know, I know who Quinns are going to be targeting all game because if you clobber Connan, then you know, who do you play at fly half? Um, I don't know, I guess maybe you could have put Penny there or something and move someone else to full-back. I know by the end when I think Orlando was down for treatment, they um, Schroeder came back on, they put him at full-back or something ridiculous like that. Um, I think we will get into that sort of situation. Uh, luckily that that didn't happen, but you're right, there was no fly-half replacement on the bench. So I guess uh, for Friday night, we've got to hope that
0: have a bit more bodies in that department. Indeed. We um, mentioned that if had got smashed up, we'd have had problems. But I tell you what, we were half giving Marcus Smith a, a beating up. There's a couple of times he got driven back considerably. At the very start of the second half, he must have gone back about 30 yards when I think it was Borella and Orlando grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and just marched him backwards in a kind of a, a little rolling maul they decided to develop all on their own. But um, yeah, throughout the game, he, he was obviously targeted because. He is quite slight, and they know that he, he can't stop an 18-stone bear moth running straight at him. Um, but, yeah, if we, if we kind of go through the game, obviously, we missed the penalty early on. Um, but then it wasn't too long before we got on the score sheet through. Um, a nice little break down the left by Callum Chick. or well, others with Chick finishing it off.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought... Quinn's most sustained pressure was actually the bit just before the try, I thought perhaps the try was slightly against the run of play, but um, yeah, it was really well done really good support play, into the corner nice to see Chick, not only start, but really good to see him get his try as well, I think that's was we really well deserved um, yeah, so that kind of said, anyway, from that point,
0: I genuinely thought that going over the course of the game we, we were probably the better team For the remainder of the first half, I think pretty much all of the possession, apart from maybe 10 seconds was in um, the Harlequins half, it wasn't too long before we got a second try, um, kick to the corner, bit of setting up, and then Moipola rumbling over as he does best from close range, once again the kick slotted, 14-0 up, looking very promising, and then, as is often the case, what do we do? Falcon special from the
1: kick-off, um, I mean, uh, to be fair to Van I think maybe, because I think Holquins had on the second half of this, I do think perhaps the sun was maybe in his eyes a bit, but yeah, it was pretty poor schoolboy error stuff. Ball dropped. I mean, yeah, these things happen. But then to let it bounce and to let the Queen's players have the space to just sort of offload it and run it at the corner. And I'm not sure about the tackling as well. Yeah, uh, the, To stop the, them there was the best in the world. But yeah, I mean, if it's the equivalent, I suppose in rugby terms, of just sort of an own goal straight from the kickoff, isn't it?
0: Yeah. You mentioned the tackling. It was, I think, Schroeder and Penny um, for, missed their tackles then. And it's slightly worrying that um, we'll come on to it a bit more detail later on, but Quinn's second try, there's also a, a load of missed tackles and a bit of something to work on, maybe get the old yellow Gilbert tackling pad brushed off and playing with them on the training park because um, it seems like when players are running at pace, particularly out wide, we are falling off a reasonable number. For the rest of the first half, not a great deal more to report, really.
1: I would have only four. I mean, against, I guess, systematic of- an illustrative of perhaps what our main problem is, is not taking our chances at the end. We were camped on their line, weren't we? And then right before half time, we gave away the penalty about a metre out, two metres out, or whatever it was. And I think if we'd gone over there, that was probably the game. But obviously, that, missing that chance and the combined with gifting them the seven points right for the kickoff, sort of left them in the game and sort of opened the door for them to, to have a good go at, at a comeback. Because... I, I saw. I thought the Hurricanes would probably step it up in the second half. I didn't think that that they would be quite as sort of insipid as they were, and I thought that we would rue the mischances, and I guess we almost did. But um, yeah, I was very frustrated by that mischance and the, the turnover and the at the end of the first half.
0: Yeah, as you say, once again, we seem to be specialists at not turning possession opportunities into points. Having said that, start of the second half. We resumed much as we finished the first with a lot of territory, and Radwan probably scored one of his most close-range tries he'll get of his career. Um used to sing him romp at home from a fair distance out, but this one was just a bit of quick thinking because a lot of players had kind of stopped waiting for the video ref because, um, I can't remember who it was before, was it Trevor Davidson maybe, had almost got over, or potentially I think probably had got over, but wasn't clear. So the, the ref, instead of blowing, goes the video ref, um stopping the match, he just, let play continue for another phase, and then Radwan squirted over and he checked both at once. And I think that's actually very good refereeing because I see too often referees blowing held up very early when the ball eventually come when, when the ball would come back, and teams as opposed to ha- being two inches out from the line end up having to have a scrum which isn't necessarily in their favour. So um, I think good officiating there, and we got the uh, five points unfortunately not converted into the seven.
1: Yeah, um, I was worried that that two points could be crucial. Um, I mean, the miss penalty at the start, you know, yes, it's annoying, but... You know, you could, especially with us from kickoffs, you never know. Harlequins could have done what they did later on and just scored straight from the kickoff. But I thought that two points was obviously with conversions, it's just a go at nothing almost. And I thought because I did think it would be probably pretty close, and we could rule that two points. Again, I thought that try was a bit another systematic again of one of our problems in which when we do, we do score tries, uh, but we seem to work very very hard for them. I think. And there were a few phases before that try where we could have scored and we, we didn't. And I think similar to then the first half was another chance where again we were camped down there, and we gave away the penalty. I mean luckily I think we came down about five minutes later and that's when we scored the try. But we seem to have to work very, very hard for what should be fairly straightforward and
0: simple tries to get. Yeah, and then Harlequin's the opposite of that. They didn't really have to work very hard at all for the two of those. They made a couple of subs on about the just before the around the hour mark. This green fella who seemed to have no Coverage by the Harlequins chaps last weekend came out of nowhere and brushed off three tackles and ran it in from halfway. Um, Bit disconcerting that one. And then it was a set piece move about five minutes later. Off the top of the line, out, huge gap opens up, and Winger goes through a hole and he completely turned um, Stevenson inside out. And very easy try. And then at that point, you're thinking, uh oh. Yeah, um, as you say, what tends to
1: happen with tries we concede, we do still have on the best defenses in the league but when we do concede tries you know my god do we concede them um and very easily as well um i think the problem with the second one is i think it's quite hard actually when you do have a player who's as quick as green and you know it does get a bit broken it loose it's an open play y- yes i do think you should be making those tackles but it, obviously it's quite difficult and our wingers well we've mentioned this before our back three aren't the biggest in the world and I think perhaps I suspect if you do have a really strong fast runner they are susceptible to perhaps breaking the tackle or, or whatever but yeah the the, the third try is just I think it's just a really well worked set piece again a bit disappointing obviously left the huge gap but uh, you know I think in some ways you, you've got to kind of take your hats off to and that was a really good try but I thought they were the most dangerous especially second half when it did kind of break up a bit and it did get a bit loose and they did have these sort of quick wide men out there almost got in there a couple other times as well looked really, really dangerous. But uh thankfully
0: we only restricted them to those two in the set in the second half. Yeah, and then there was a couple of penalties exchanged and last couple of minutes, there's um, one of these ones where normal players we've seen for the last however many years, Quinn's earned themselves a penalty and Smith's lining up a shot from best part of fifty metres and we think, uh oh. And then the video F pipes up and you think, Oh, what's going on here? So have a closer look and he took one for the team um, <laughs> against his former club I don't know whether someone was trying to settle a score with him or whether he was just um, kind of heading the wrong or right place at the right time but we ended up with one of them in the sin bin what would have been a kickable penalty for Smith suddenly becomes a penalty to us for the high tackle and um, we stick it down into the corner Well, not the corner as it was, it was quite a poor touch actually. On the twenty two. Off the back of the line out, we get ball to the backs, and you think, oh, here we go. Referee's arm goes out, get a penalty, fantastic. And then what do we hear? We oh, this one it wasn't the video ref piping up so much. Um it actually annoyed me quite a bit because you could see it on the TV and you could also hear him in the referee's microphone. It was Marcus Smith whinging And he was kind of pleading with the referee to refer it. And the referee did refer. I'm not I'm just not comfortable with referees referring things off the back of players complaining. I think it's one thing if a player um, goes down and draws attention to it through being injured or emphasising an injury, but he was basically whinging at the referee, a bit like a spoilt child. Just the video from, I think the video ref made the right decision there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, where's Burrell supposed to put his arm? I mean, you know, come on he's, he's going into contact with someone you know, you can't expect him to have his arm sort of down by his side really, going into it it's kind of hit the sort of if, you know, the contact is the bottom of his throat top of his chest or whatever, you know you it's it's not the head, is it? You know, there's the, the same protocols, the same rules aren't there. Um, and I think it was just kind of a, a, as you say, a whinge at nothing and maybe there was the annoyance and frustration, obviously, especially from Smith who was just about to line up and take potentially the winning penalty to then you know be on the back foot and actually having already then just conceded potentially the losing penalty for them so I think it was a combination of those but I think it was definitely the right decision I think we would have been absolutely fuming and foaming at the mouth if that was reversed and given to them
0: yeah but it wasn't and then Colin kicks it um we managed to retain a kickoff which is always nice to see and a couple of phases I actually thought we were very lucky in one of the phases not to give away a penalty for diving off our feet um, I, I've seen referees give them many times when um, players are running down the clock. It seems to be an instinct just to kind of dive on the ball when it's on the floor as opposed to forming a ruck properly. But we got away with it, kick and touch and win by three points. One thing to note, or well, there's a few things to note from the game. Um, Orlando went off injured, as did Penny. Those two didn't seem so serious or injuries. Um, but one that was concerning was Radwan um, with the twist of his knee. Um we mentioned it last week in the podcast that there's a tendency for stunts to stick in artificial pitches. Um, looked a bit of that and also just kind of getting, an unfortunately, kind of trapped between a player on the ground and a bit of pressure from the side. And hoping it's just a strain, not ligament damage per se, but um, with him coming back from an injury only recently, you've got to hope for the best. I don't think they've said anything officially as to what's happened yet, have they?
1: Yeah, I mean, they don't. I think unless it's absolutely really serious, they generally don't. Um, But I think the only positive is I think it looked worse than it perhaps was. I mean, there was no stretcher involved. He sort of hobbled off rather than was carried off. I don't know. We just sort of keep our fingers crossed that it's only, well, not as bad as it looked. And I hope it's not a season over or he's going to be out perhaps absolutely months. and, And I think you mentioned at the time, you know, if you're really, if your game is based about, being a really really speedy winger you know if you get a serious injury like that and you lose a yard of pace or whatever that could be career ending for you um i don't think it seemed that bad because i I think he just walked off rather than was carried off or with any oxygen or anything like that but
0: yeah we'll just have to see and keep our fingers crossed well I snapped my knee ligaments once upon a time and I've never been the same athlete since um, and I walked off the pitch. I actually walked in and out the Grand Canyon before getting the operation. So they're not things that stop you walking. They're things that hurt a lot and you can't sidestep very well when you haven't got knee ligaments. So um, hopefully it's nothing too serious. Didn't look nice, especially the angle it was on the TV coverage. But um, yeah, I just got to hope him, hope him all the best and hope he makes a speedy recovery because we need him back. Yeah, but they're not quite as tough as you though, are they? Oh, not as hard as Nails as me. Um ma- made a good opportunity for our, our second Argentinian to make an appearance.
1: Yeah, um nice to see him get get a run out Carreras. Um I think it was mentioned a couple of weeks ago sort of where is he? Cuz he's been at the club for a few months now. Um I guess you will see maybe more than we thought we would if, if Radwan's injury is serious. Um I I mean on paper it seems very exciting and I guess we will find out
0: sooner rather than later i suppose yeah i think he played about 20 odd minutes in the end didn't get the ball in his hand once so it's not like we got to see him uh, showing his stuff but he'll get an opportunity and given that um he was the kind of the reserve winger you'll probably see him in the squad on friday night against sale won't you
1: yeah well i think he made sort of a tackle a decent tackle once and that was kind of all we saw of him but yeah i mean as we say we just sort of give him a go, see what happens. Uh, what worst that can happen is he misses every tackle and drops every ball and never plays again. So we'll
0: we'll have to see. I'm sure, I'm sure I've am sure. i got faith in, in Dino. I'm sure it's a decent sign, right? If we kind of look at the season as it stands, we're currently in sixth position, so top half of the table. I think beyond our expectations at the start of the year, or at least most pessimistic fans like us as expectations at the start of the year, how would you rank the season as a whole for the club? And, if we went down to kind of the, if you call it the the, the 15 or the 22, or the, just the players that have stood out to you thus far this season, kind of if you go from one to 15 and then a few extra ones, um, who would you kind of put in the performing well, best in class, needs to buck up his ideas, should apply himself, try harder? Uh,
1: a lot of categories have fill there. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's... Uh, you know, it's a good time to sort of take stock and have a look at how this sort of weird season has gone. Um, obviously, we're halfway through now, um, so I actually I posed this question on social media um, to see, you know, get a diverse opinion from from other supporters, see what we all think. Um, I'll start with sort of my views first. The way i thought wanted, I thought, be fun to do it was sort of if we have a look at it like a you know school half term you know report grade card thing. Um, I think if you gave us probably I would say a B. Um, as you say, we you know if we were sat here months ago after that Ealing defeat, and you told us halfway through the season we'll be fairly comfortably and deservedly in the top well six well top six I suppose but six you know never would have believed you, um, but yeah there we are. Um, I don't think it hasn't been a perfect season by any stretch because the games I think particularly Bristol and Exeter were disappointing defeats. Um, I thought we for large parts of those game with we a better team and we should have won those games and. We just didn't take chances. I think if we took those chances, we'd be, well, we'd be looking to potentially win the league, actually. Um, but, yeah, so it has not been a perfect season, but it has been a very, very good one, and shaping actually one of the best that we've had in, as well as the finishing fourth season, probably since we won the league. But, I mean, obviously, we're only halfway is so a long way to go yet.
0: Yeah, um, people say the table never lies, and I think that, in this case, it can be a bit misleading with kind of the, the cancellation of a few games, but it still doesn't lie. I'd say that when you look at the games we've played is it we've played eight now, won five, had three abandoned or cancelled. It doesn't lie. We've we've not got any bonus points, but we've won a reasonable number of games. and We're in the top half of the league, and the games that we've lost, we haven't got thrashed in. I think that a little bit more... T- clin- clinicism? Clinicalism? I don't know what the word is. But being a bit more clinical in the final third and getting a couple more tries in every game, which I think, to be honest, they've been there for the taking, on the whole, there is no reason that we shouldn't have won every single game. I'd say on balance, it's probably fair enough we've lost some. But I wouldn't say there's a single game we've been outplayed in. It's just a bit disappointing, really, that we've not got a, a winning bonus point at all.
1: Yeah, well, it's exactly that. I think if we just had a bit more accuracy a bit more clinical, that's really the only criticism, I suppose, um, which is, again, it, it's a bit... It's it's one where at the start of the season if, if you kinda of said to us, Well, if we were just a little bit more clinical, a little bit more accurate, we could be looking at you know, towards it was certainly the top four at least be incredible um, so yeah as I say I think if I was to give it a, a, a sort of report card grade it w- would be a B Is you know it has been very very good but there is room for improvement and that's been your disappointment but on the whole really really good and when I pose this question to, to people on our Twitter and Facebook um, again I think B was the most common one. Um, I mean, A couple of pessimistic ones put more of a C, um, which I'm not quite sure necessarily what their expectations are going to be, but maybe they're even harsher than we are. But yeah, I think that seems to be general consensus that so far it's been really good, but it could have been better, perhaps. Um, in terms of when you mentioned the question about the players, um, it's really, really tough because obviously we haven't had many players sort of or star players consistently playing. So it's kind of really how you phrase the question. If you'd ask me Who's been our most consistent player, uh, consistently best player um, throughout the season so far? I would say it's probably going to be one of the forwards. And if I was to really have to choose, maybe Robinson. I don't think he's put a foot wrong all season. I think he's always been exceptional in every game. Like quietly, I know that Mark Wilson, Guy Graham get a lot of the a lot of the press coverage. Um, But I think he's been absolutely exceptional and it's systematic about how we've quietly, especially in the forwards, quietly gone gone about things and successfully. Uh, I think closely followed by Fusa as well. He's been a really, really good signing. Again, not a particularly big fanfare signing. No one really knew anything about him. But I think apart from one knock on against Bath and maybe another against London Irish, again, he's been almost faultless and the line out generally has been pretty successful, and I think he's been a big part of that. And I think if you'd have another level below that, possibly McGuigan and Moolipola. But if the question was what's been the best standout performance in any match this season, I think probably probably Mickey Young in the home game against Sale. Um, I think that performance was the best scrum our performance I've seen, certainly for the Falcons, for as long as I can remember. Um, and just generally, I think it was one of the best strong performance i ever seen, considering the quality of the opposition. It was our first home game of the season, and his opposite number in De Klerk, he had him in his back pocket the whole game and absolutely outclassed him. Um, and obviously, he's had his critics amongst myself, probably yourself, and a lot of others, but he really showed us what he has in his locker that night. In terms of, sort of a player who perhaps should be improving, um, it, it's tough actually. I'm, I still want to see more from Schroeder, even though. He did have probably his best game f- for us yesterday. I know he hasn't played a huge amount of games, but he was a more of the marquee signings. Um, there's a couple of others who I think maybe haven't sort of made the cut as such, but I wouldn't necessarily expect them to. You know, you talk about your Yavunas, your perhaps, is a reasonably decent name, but it just hasn't really come for whatever reason. But I, I want to see more from Schrodin and yesterday gave me hope. Um, in terms of what other supporters have said, I think it's been quite diverse. Others said Fuser as well um some have said orlando which is an interesting one lots for mcguigan as well once said are so yeah it's quite diverse but i think we are looking in the four into the at the forwards generally as the most consistent
0: performers i mean what do you think your views on that are i think that the, the front three have been exceptional davison mcguigan mulepola and also i think that brocklebank and blamare off the bench once again very very good you mentioned um was a, uh, Robinson, he got the knock yesterday and Hardy came on um, but hopefully it's just a knock. It looked like he should be able to play again in the future um, not too long. Back row, I think we've shown just quite how good Nick Easter and Dean Richards are at recruiting and keeping hold of the good back row players because even our second string back row, I'd say, is probably up there with the strongest in the league. Um, it's we, we, we talk about Gary Graham and Mark Wilson mm-hmm. all the time but if you just look at the back row players that we have filling in, like there's plenty of weeks that Hardy hasn't even been on the bench, and it's not through fitness, it's just through depth, mm-hmm. and I think he played very well when he got a good run out yesterday. A bit of a different back row player to a lot of the other ones we have got Hardy, as he's obviously a lot smaller, but he gets around the park a lot more. I think also I'd say that in the Open, I thought Conan has been quite good this year. I, I knew last year from the Championship that he was able to play very well, but I was never quite sure how he'd stack up at the top flight, and it's been... Pleasant surprise. Um kicking maybe an unpleasant surprise, but looks like hopefully he's turning a corner on that. Um I think players that are performing or kind of the, the ones that have come out of nowhere, I'd say um Sam Stewart has this season come on leaps and bounds. And I think kind of one that kind of wasn't really on the radar very really much last season, even was Stevenson. He's playing week in, week out, mostly 80 minutes at the minute. And he's got a good few tries to his name and I think as um, time goes on, he'll get spotted by other clubs potentially and maybe worked out a bit, hopefully not transferred. But um, right now, I think that he's just going about his business, doesn't make many mistakes. Um, We we failed to mention it a bit earlier, actually, but yesterday there was the pass that hit his knee from Burrell, but that would have been another one, easy walk-in for him, had the pass been a foot or two higher. And then we also messed up another one where Schroeder went down the wing, but he doesn't seem to make any mistakes. He's a good finisher. He's got gas to burn. And defensively, I'm quite impressed with
1: him as well. Well, I think the fact we've mentioned so many names there kind of shows, obviously, how well we're doing. And it's not necessarily all, it's not necessarily about, in our team, standout star individuals. It's a lot of it, the success being built on the fact that the squad itself is all pulling together. And there's a lot of consistent performance in there. I mean, I mean we haven't really mentioned him much in this segment, but Burrell, I thought, I mean, Burrell's performance especially against Bath and Wasps was exceptional and, it's, and that really sort of lit my eyes up to the quality he brings and what we've been missing from a player like him. Again he kind of showed his stuff uh, yesterday and Gary Gray's performance
0: against Bath as well was absolutely exceptional. Um, yeah you say we haven't got many players that um, kind of set the world alight or draw too much attention. I think Burrell yesterday showed what a difference he makes if you think about his game yesterday he didn't do anything ridiculously amazing he always took two or three players to bring him down he always made yards he frequently got the ball away or set it up quickly we just mentioned the one where he passed it to steven stevenson's knee but other than that he was faultless defense faultless and i think just the the, the knowledge that if you give him the ball He's going to go forward. It lets other players play off him. Um, I feel that the last couple of weeks or months when he's not been around so much, um, we've definitely lacked that. Um, it seems like when, when we spun the ball out yesterday, I was never kind of thinking, oh, we're going to go back 10 yards here. Whereas that has been the case. And it also means that we then have another option to just aimless kicking, which there was a little spell of yesterday, but not too much.
1: Yeah, uh, I absolutely agree with that. Um, so I think to sort of sum that up, it's, if you were sort of give a comment, it's just needs need a little bit more care, need a bit more accuracy, but
0: overall really good and keep up the good work. I still feel it hasn't quite clicked in the backs yet. It might be that there have been a lot of changes and there's not been a consistent 15 or a consistent back seven for the last few weeks. But um, I feel that at some point it will click and then we'll end up getting Radwan and Stevenson in the space that they've actually not really had that much of yet this season. Um, they were still not really getting the ball to the wings that much. Um, and then Stevenson yesterday he got the ball out, actually after saying that, he got the ball a couple of times into space and just kind of tried to run through his opposition General almost down style. And I think he's got to realise that his strength isn't being six foot six and 20 stone, it's being ridiculously quick and going around people. Um, could be that Green had him for pace, I don't know. But yeah, um, I feel that there's still a lot more in the locker and i think our packs probably as a pack one of the best units in the league if not the best yeah no i agree with that you mentioned a bit earlier that earlier in the season mickey young's best game was against sale and he had him in the back pocket well that's to clerk um i'm not sure mickey will be playing on friday night when we have the return fixture against sale but how do you think that one's going to pan out obviously sale doing very well at the minute um yeah god so
1: tough um we've mentioned before we don't know which falcons team is going to turn up uh we don't necessarily know what sort of personnel because it's been chopping change so much recently i don't know i think similarly to the home game where i think we're i can be a bit more optimistic we're in that game um because we have shown actually since second game of the season we are actually a good outfit and they can be beaten um and I don't, know, I, I, I don't know, I think Sale will probably still win just, but I think it'll be really close. So yeah, Sale have been going really well, had a really good, solid win over Exeter. Um, and I think they're starting to kind of get into River a bit more, much more than they were, obviously, after two games in. And they had a change of coach after that. Obviously, Steve Diamond going partly because of an inquest after losing to us. Um I think they may have just too much. Risk. I mean, it's the thing I worry about, our accuracy. And I feel that in these away games against some of the top teams and the top four, we, we just don't seem to be accurate and we don't take our chances. I could easily see us dominating parts of the game, sort of Bristol style, but then just not taking the chances and, you know, sail, put a few good moves together whatever and then running a couple of tries, which it could be the difference.
0: And unfortunately, I think that's the way it could pan out. Yeah it's one of those ones where they'll have a very strong team and they're showing at the minute with the, the last few results they've had that like we said there's kind of three or four teams that are just as good as each other it seems this season and it depends if you pick them on a good or a bad week. I haven't seen the weather forecast next week but um, obviously a different surface to Kingston Park so we'll have to see how it pans out.
1: Yeah, uh, I think, as I say, we can be a bit optimistic. I mean, we come off the back of a really good win, um, but I think it'll be potentially a different game. And uh, like I said, I worry about our accuracy at times, but you never know. We beat beat them at Kingston Park. No reason why we
0: can't beat them down there. Yeah, you're going to have to hope for a wonderful last-minute Toby Flood experience again.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, if we win, you know, if we win every game in the last minute, I don't think I'm going to care. I won't have any fingernails left. and probably died of a heart attack for the end of the season. But as long as I keep
0: winning, that's the important thing. Um, It's on Friday night, isn't it? And I presume it'll be on good old BT Sport again with the most biased commentators you could imagine. Um, Yeah, it's on BT. I
1: don't know which channel. I don't know if it's on on one of those funny extra channels or because it's a Friday night with... Presumably know the games. It'll be on one of the the other cha- the main channels. But yeah, it'd be usual oh.
0: high quality BT standard. With it being a Friday night, they'll have got Bayfield, Austin, Healy and Co down there to to talk about how wonderful Sale are for a good hour before the match. The commentators will be biased, not really the Falcons players' names, be cheering almost when Sale do good things, and then thoroughly miserable at the end when Falcons are beating them. Hopefully.
1: Yeah, well, I think you, well, you know where the mute button is on your remote, and I think especially when they start talking about George Graham, you can uh, that's when you can reach for your mute button and uh, do what you need to do.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I was very close to muting it on um, Saturday with those dreadful commentators on BT Sport. Um, but anyway, we can we can go on about that and probably get ourselves done for libel if we want to, but um, save that for another week. Moving on from kind of the positive rugby of Newcastle Falcons to the. Somewhat not positive rugby of England. A lot has been made of the England game and the refereeing decisions, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, we're just not good enough. And we've got a lot of players that haven't played rugby in months. Saracen's players keep giving away penalties, particularly Otoji. It seems like the, the national press has caught up with my line of thinking about two years late, in that he's a liability. And yeah, he does some good play, but he concedes umpteen penalties a game. And if we just go to the match itself, To be fair, the referee, that first try for Wales was a joke. I don't think anyone can justify it. Second one, I understand why it wasn't given as a knock-on, but if the video ref didn't exist, there is not a single referee, player, coach, supporter in the country which would have said that should not be a scrum to England. Yeah, I mean, do do we have to talk about this? But yeah, uh, I
1: mean, first one is is ridiculous beyond words, I think it sort of brings the game into dispute almost. It's that bad. Um, the second one, it, it's a knock on. I mean, let's not, let's not pussyfoot about it. Um, you, you, lost, you lost control of the ball. Uh, I mean, I think the only circumstance where you would say that wasn't knock on is if, because I know obviously you do, I know you can drop the ball down for him to do a grubber kick or something like that, but you lost control of the ball. And if you lose control of the ball like that, it's, it's a knock on everyone in the world would have said it's a knock on it, it. It's a knock on. Um, uh, yeah, it's just ridiculous, but, if you kind of split the two halves, yes, England were unjustly robbed in the first half. And it was absolutely outrageous. And, I don't, I, you know, Wales, obviously, like like they have rest of the tournament, have had the rub of the green. Second half, don't have any complaints at all. Uh, I mean, they did very well, obviously, to get it to 24-all, despite all the injustice. And you thought from that point, well, they'd be fired up by that. We, you know, we were playing, the, we were probably the better team at that point And it was only a matter of time, but... Usual England stuff, give away penalties left, right, and centre, especially a Saracen players who forgot how to play the game, and um, just yeah, it's just an absolute shameful farce and a mess and a disgrace. And it's they got, they, they got what they deserved in the end, despite the the ridiculous
0: refereeing decisions in the first half. Yeah, you don't you don't lose a match by sixteen points purely because of a referee. Two things. Firstly, I think that. Owen Farrell, um, after the first try, he was rightly annoyed, but I think he could have approached the referee in a very different way and perhaps not annoyed him for the rest of the game because I think it was cross-between unprofessional, embarrassing and inappropriate, the way that he spoke to the referee. And I would actually hope that um, he gets a bollocking from the RFU for it. Um, Second try, as you say, it was just kind of a knock-on. don't think we can beat around it. But the fact of the matter is that our penalty count was outrageous. If we hadn't have given away umpteen penalties, we would have easily walked that match because we scored however many points, twenty-four points against Wales, and we gifted them about thirty points when you take into account the penalties and the tries they got from the back of penalties. And we can go on about Saracen's players, but the one that's been annoying me apart from a you recently in Vinapola and Farrell and George but the one that's been annoying me is Elliot Daly. With um the recent knock-on, he stopped and didn't play on. He played to the whistle. You've been told that since you're a five-year-old. Play to the whistle. Um, his defence seems lacking, to say, the best. Going forward, I see no reason why there aren't at least three or four other English fullbacks in the line lined up ahead of him. And the one thing he did yesterday that was quite good was catching the ball when it was going to go to touch and flinging it behind him. Which looked nice, but I'd much rather a fullback that could tackle than one that could do that.
1: Yeah, but it's.
0: I mean, we, talk, we can talk about a
1: thousand players to death, and quite rightly, but you also start to get other players who just seem to be on the edge all the time and constantly just going over the line, and giving away penalties. I'm sure Hill, every game I watch him in, he gives away penalties every game. Curry's started to do it now, which he never used. He was always so reliable. Um, and it just seems to be. I don't know if they're under instruct. I don't know if it's just a mindset they're in, or if they're under instruction to kind of play that way. But you know, it's it's just you just it just shoots yourself in the foot. You just lose games. You know, if you always give away penalties, no matter who you're playing against, you you're gonna lose. Um, and it it seems to be the same every single game where it's been talked about for years even you know a year or so ago a couple years ago where we were genuinely really really good consistently it's always been the same we've always made it difficult for ourselves because of the penalty count. so i do wonder if it's if it's some sort of jones tactic or something and what what gets me is it's not even so much oh we're under pressure lots and it's just that we're giving away penalties for desperate defense all the time it's it's often we're in possession and we're giving away penalties which how is a as an England international it's supposed the very best of the best top of the top and how can you consistently give away penalties when you are in possession it just it's just boggles the mind it's astounding
0: yeah you get different sorts of penalties you get ones where you are pushing the boundaries and you get away with it a few times and the referee eventually pings you kind of fair enough you get ones where um, it's just unlucky for example um, when it's a offside when a ball ricochets off you just instantly catch it through instincts that happens um you get penalties that are professional fouls which although you can have lots of arguments about that um they're sometimes necessary when it's a lot less fashionable to sin in players leicester used to do it all the time because it's much better to give away three points than seven but the, the ones that we're giving away they are blatant the risk versus reward ratio is non-existent and there's nothing to gain from doing them. Um, I don't see what, like you say, is it a mindset they're in? Is it they've been coached to do it? I'd love to know if the coaches tell them to do that, what the logic behind it is. But it it just seems that um, it's a mixture of petulance, arrogance, and a lack of um, a lack of control. Um, off the pitch, you need the coaching setup to be dropping players for playing like that, and on the pitch, you need. A captain or some very strong words said to the players doing it. And I don't think there's anyone on the England team who would tell Marutoji just to pack it in. Owen Farrell's not the sort of person that'll go up to Marotogri, grab him by the scruff of the neck and say, pack it in. I've seen players on pitches of the same team almost come to blows before when players are being stupid. And you don't get any sort of that sort of disappointment or angry at the other players on the pitch because when a player gives away a super penalty, it's their own fault. Once, what on earth are you doing? Twice, cut it out. When it gets to the third, fourth, fifth time, lamp him. Well, <laughs> Give him yeah, an HIA. I mean, yeah,
1: I mean, well, I couldn't do much worse if they did do that to half of the players. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I can echo all that. And i I think the key thing is a lot of these players know they're not going to be dropped no matter what they do, no matter who, how little they play, how bad do they play. But I think it's as you've mentioned previously, I don't know if it was a week or a week before, uh, probably after the Scotland defeat, um, when you were saying about how <laughs> players nowadays are just kind of told what to do. They don't really kind of, you don't see sort of, you know, individuality on the media. You don't see them sort of making sort of decisions on the pitch, which kind of, st- show sort of their their ability they're just kind of they're all sort of dry, mindless drones almost. Where they're just kind of coach. Oh, you need to. As in this, if you're in this position, you must do this. And for in you know in this particular part parts of the game, you must do A, B, and C, whatever it is. Especially the high level professional coaching it's going to be very systematic like that. You don't get now nowadays where players kind of almost think for themselves. Like uh, you got to look at a lot of the decisions, a lot of the penalties they give away, and, and from the general play, and you got to think. You know, if you're a fresh player with one brain cell, you know that is not the right thing. To to do but i think modern players and as you say they're, maybe they're under pressure as well are, are coached and under pressure and to do what exactly they've been told and there's no sort of plan b they don't really think for themselves
0: on that note um if you look at the england team i'd say that what is different between them and the other home nations or the other six nations or potentially world rugby is that um the best players tend to get identified at the age of 13 or 14, potentially a little bit younger. They then become part of academies and it's almost a closed system from then on in. Um, If you look at the England squad, they'll have played England age groups and whatever together or with various people get sifted out along the way. And it's kind of a a pyramid of players that just decreases and decreases to the top. And you don't get the players that develop late that have got a bit more nouse to them making it um, club rugby you get a few internationals you've got robson and i think probably mark wilson two that haven't come through the conventional route and i don't know whether it's kind of the the nepotism involved in a lot of rugby if you look at our standoff and uh, inside center what are they they're both the sons of coaches um you've got grayson um who's for some reason getting his name put in the hat for england once again the son of northampton grayson and i think that there's an awful lot of nepotism in rugby and the narrow-mindedness and the sifting out of talent at a relatively young age before players have developed. And you end up with, like you say, these drones that have never gone in. Like I guess some of the Saracens players... I, I would be surprised if any of the Saracens players will have ever gone into a change room as bad as some of the ones they'll end up going into this season when it restarts because they'll have been... at the elite rugby at various school levels. They've been at um, various England or club academy setups playing on very nice pitches throughout. And it wouldn't surprise me if they go to Bedford and they think, what on earth is this? Whereas you get a lot of players, probably in the Falcons setup, who haven't necessarily gone through that um, framework because they've played in the Cumbria or Northumberland or Durham leagues or whatever. And people like, you look at Trevor Davidson, who I think... I don't see why his name's not being put in the hat for England, because he's fantastic, but he came through the ranks at Bladen. But he's just, if I'm honest, I think he probably won't get a look in, because he's not from the South London Brill Cream Your Hair crew. Yeah, well, also Robinson as well. I mean, are there many English players in that position
1: better than him at the moment? Probably not. But, you know, we we quite rightly criticise the franchise systems, you can call it that, of, say, you know, you have in Scotland, Ireland and Wales, the fact that, you know, it's based, they're just sort of like, training clubs almost for the international teams and we you know we take pride in our english league system the fact oh, you know you have all these very competitive clubs and you know, there's a great pool of talent but what's the point being hypocritical and criticizing that and the ridiculousness of franchise systems if we're not going to take advantage of what our league offers is that variety of type of player come from all different backgrounds all over the country and take advantage of that large pool of players because i think what england Ironically, England and say Scotland, Wales, or Ireland, or any other international team, is like it's like a club. It's it's a club team playing at international level. That, that's what it is. You, that's why you keep getting the same players all the time, and you get the same players picked week in week out because it, that's like especially with Saracens at the moment because that's the only team they're playing for. The Saracens players. It's it's like a club at international level, and that's what it, it should not should not be, and it should never ever be like that.
0: Also, um, if you look at the other nation uh, home nations. I would say maybe less so Ireland, but if you look at Wales and Scotland you've still got like the the non professional or semi professional leagues, you've still got your your neaths and your your traditional Tethley playing week in, week out. And in Scotland you've got your, your Harriet's or your whoever else is your, your border clubs and Stirling and players like that. That provides the perfect avenue for young extremely good players to progress to playing adult rugby in their late teens. Whereas in England, they end up in the academy of a premiership team and don't play for three or four years. And it also means that um, there's kind of the opportunity for people who do develop later in their early 20s to play and play very well for, say, Neath for three seasons, end up going into one of the Welsh franchises, and then playing for Wales. Um, You just don't get that in England. It seems to be that you end up in the um, championship for four or five years Play a couple of years in the Premiership in your late twenties, and by then you've passed it, and you've not got a chance of having you looking for England, or you uh, you play for Saracens or Harlequins in your early twenties, and you're in England before you know it.
1: Yeah, well, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I think the problems, obviously, there's problems on the pitch in terms of the immediate future, the immediate future in terms of how they play. Potentially coaching, and of course you mentioned personnel, but there are systematic problems in the English game with our and with the RFU, which we've obviously we've addressed, um, and there shouldn't be. I mean, I've always said this on paper: England should be the best team in the world all the time. I know game the game isn't played on paper. But on paper, we should be the strongest team all the time, simply because the resources, both of money and player base, and quite frankly, I think it's, especially at the moment,
0: it's shameful and disgraceful that we're absolutely nowhere near that. Yeah, I'd have, have to agree with that. Wouldn't it be nice if we were the best team in the world all the time? I think Eddie Jones still thinks we are, mind you. Uh, moving on from uh, kind of the weekend's um, matches to, or the, sorry, the, the, the England and the Falcons matches, um, to kind of a, a roundup of the results... So, on Friday night, Sale beating Exeter, 25 points to 20. Then on Saturday, alongside our victory over Harlequins of 25 points to 22, we had Bristol beating Leicester, 17 points to 3. Wasps losing 10-16 at Holmes, London, Irish. And Gloucester picking up a victory against Worcester Warriors, despite a very good Worcester try, it has to be said. Um, that was 22-14. Um, and then finally... Bath um, nicked by a point against Northampton today, 23 points to 22 at Northampton. We find ourselves halfway through the season. Very strange that start of March we're halfway through the season, mind you. Um, but the, the table as it stands, we've got Bristol now a bit of distance ahead with 41 points, followed by Exeter on 35, Harlequin's on 33, Sale on 32, Northampton on 31, we've got 29 alongside London Irish, Wasps has got 25, Leicester and Bath both have 24, and Worcester and Gloucester both have 15. Um, that means that if we beat Sale next week, we go ahead of them, unless they end up uh, but two losing bonus points, um, which I think, um, I think we'll all take halfway through the season. Bristol now six points ahead at the top of the table, so bit of daylight opening up there and also Worcester and Gloucester at the bottom, their joint um, could have been even worse for Gloucester had they not got the win at the weekend. they would have then been 10 points or eight points adrift, or whatever it would have worked out. As. But even as it stands, the two of those clubs have a, a nine point deficit to make up now, but it's all kind of academic because there's no relegation. Um, Six nations um, this weekend. Um, Ireland constantly beat Italy. I think it was 48-10 or something under I can't bother to check. Um, but the Six Nations table is a bit of a funny one now with um, the France-Scotland game being postponed. Um, I read something in the paper this afternoon about um, France potentially withdrawing from the Six Nations. Um, we'll see if anything comes of this, but I don't quite know what the, the French are playing with a lot of things at the minute, But um, particularly the refereeing. But it seems that a French minister is potentially threatening to withdraw the exemption from French travel to Britain for elite sport, Um, whether that is Le Sour Grapes or whether it is um, damage limitation on the rugby front, who knows? But um, that one's scheduled to be replayed. No one's quite sure when, whether it's going to be the spare weekend, whether it's going to be a strange midweek game, whether it'll be a week after all the other Six Nations games. Don't know but um, one to watch out for. Could end up being um, material if it turns out that they know they can just kind of not have to push for a bonus point in the last game against Scotland or whether they have to go for it all out. But we'll just have to wait and see what happens there. So we've rambled over quite a lot this week. Um, A lot of it was kind of positive rant. Then we moved on to England. But um, yeah, that's all we've got time for this week. So thanks a lot for making this far and speak to you again, hopefully after another victory against Sale next weekend. Goodbye. Bye, everyone.